One of the things Tom didn't mention, he mentioned my dad who, uh, who had a kidney transplant. Um, one of the things he didn't mention when he was talking about how I uh, was considering giving him one of my kidneys is that I, I didn't want to do it. Um, and, uh, and, and as I was considering doing that, I was thinking about, um, all right, uh, I was thinking, if, if I do this, um, it's to prolong his life um, in the hopes that, that he, uh, he, he will see the, the prolonging death of Jesus in there, the, the, the death of Jesus that prolongs life for us, that, that gives us new life and, and a, a life in him that um, is more than just physical. Um, and uh, Tom, thanks for mentioning that, uh, because that actually ties in perfectly with um, my opening illustration. As my dad was going through this, if you've been here for a few months or more, um, you know that, that this was a, a quite a long process. My dad became incredibly ill, and we didn't know what was going on. And this, then his kidneys started to fail, and he needed a transplant. And, and, uh, and so... He was put on the transplant list, and he was he was high up on the transplant list because he had given a kidney to his sister a number of years ago. And so, as as we were waiting for a transplant, I found myself praying that he would receive a transplant. Um, but it was a really hard prayer to pray, and and the reason for that is because I knew I knew that that my praying for my dad to receive a kidney meant that somebody else had to die. And that was a really sobering and, and uh, really emotional thought for me um, as I'm sitting here praying and I'm thinking, God, uh, give my dad a kidney uh, by taking someone else's life. And there was this, this overwhelming sense of guilt um, as I prayed this, as I prayed, God... Um, Be okay with death so that life can come about. And as I reflected on it more and more, I realized that's actually the very uh, God that we worship. The God that takes death. And, and doesn't want death, but, but that takes death because it's the reality of the, the world we live in. And that takes that death and makes life come out of it. So on the one hand, you have, you have death... But then God takes that death and he brings life out of it. And this isn't a new story with God. This isn't something that God just decided to do recently. This is always what God's been about. And uh, the New Testament makes that very, very clear in the death of Jesus, that God takes death and makes life. That God brings life out of death. And it's so counterintuitive to everything we think that, that we think, wow, this just could never have been the way that God acted before. Um, but in reality, that's the way that God's always acted. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 15. We're going to start there this morning, and then we're going to pop around uh, to Genesis 18, and then we're going to land in Romans 4 um, to finish up this morning. Um, as we uh, go to the text, uh, let me pray for us, and then... Uh, We'll, we'll start talking about Abraham and his faith 
and death and life um, and our God who's great enough to bring life out of death. Let's pray. God, thank you for, uh, for this church. Thank you for Coast Bible Church. Thank you that for many years I've been able to be a part of this family. Thank you that I have the privilege of um, standing here today and sharing and some reflections and thoughts that I've had uh, over my time here at Coast. And thank you for these people, for their love, their compassion. Oh, God, I pray that you would bless each of them and bless us now as we uh, dig into the scriptures. Help us to be receptive to what you want to say to us. Help us to see you in a fresh and new light. Help us to uh, respond appropriately to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, Genesis chapter 15, right? So this is pretty early on in the Bible, like 15 chapters in. And, um, and what's been going on up to this point is, is that uh, the world's fallen into sin and everything's just ruined. The, the, the whole creation is, is now subject to, as Paul says, futility and uh, is, is just, it's just, it's in a horrible state of existence. And so God calls this man Abram, um, and will later change his name to Abraham. Um, God calls this man, and he says, I'm going to bless the world through you. I'm going uh, to make you a nation. I'm going to make you great. I'm going uh, to bless you. I'm going to uh, bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And that's in Genesis chapter 12. Um, it's it's the God's calling and first covenant with Abraham. And, and uh, so God tells him, all right, leave the land where you live and go to this new land. And so Abraham does that. And, uh, and Abraham doesn't have any children. Uh, and, and so if you know uh, a little bit about, um, about the culture of, of the ancients, uh, to not have a child was just the worst possible thing you could imagine. It meant that, that you didn't have anybody that was going to carry on your legacy. You didn't have uh, any family that was going to, uh, to, to propagate your, your uh, name, um, that you didn't have an inheritor. And, and to, to not have that, um, just uh, it really meant that, that your life was pretty meaningless. And so um, as we come to Genesis 15, that's sort of the background. That's sort of the, the context in which Abraham uh, is living. And he, he, he's, uh, he's wanting a child. Um, of course, everybody in the culture would. And if, if you're a parent, you know that um, if you want a child and you can't have one, that's incredibly difficult and, and taxing. And, and uh, there, there really is something to be said of uh, not being able to bring new life forward and how difficult that is. So uh, chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Um, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abraham said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This one, the one in your house, Eleazar of Damascus, shall not be your heir. But one who will come from your own body 
That one will be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able. And he said to him, Your descendants shall be the same. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him as righteousness. And so Abraham's living in this foreign land, and he's, he's living... Uh, He's living in this, this, uh, this land that God has promised him. God has promised him that he'll bless the nations through him, that um, all the world will be blessed. And so Abraham is sitting there, and he has to be wondering, how in the world could that possibly happen? Because I don't have any descendants. I don't have anybody that can carry that forth after I die. The, the person that uh, was born in my house, Eliezer, is, is, my, um, is my, my heir. Not one of my own kids. Uh, this is maybe uh, maybe a cousin or a nephew, or um, it's certainly not uh, somebody that's a, a, a direct descendant of Abraham. It's not his child. And so Abraham's sitting there, and he's he's wondering to himself, how how is God going to keep His promise? How's how's that even possible? How can God uh, bless the world? Because I don't have any kids, and I'm too old to have kids. And so then God shows up and God says, no, actually, you're going to have a kid. And not only that, uh, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. You guys ever been camping or gone out into the country away from the city where there's not a lot of lights? Um, I grew up in Denver. And so uh, it, it, Denver is not that big of a city. I mean, it's a big city. It's a cool city. Blah blah whatever, but you can be outside of uh, you can be outside of Denver in like 15 minutes away from the city. And when I was in high school, like 16, 17, um, I would we lived on the edge of the mountains, and so uh, a five-minute drive, and I was in the mountains. And so I used to drive um, out into the, the the hills and and to the the foothills and the base of the mountains, and I would sit up on this hill in my car, and it overlooked the entire city. And I could see, like, all of Denver for, for miles. And, and you, you know, you see that in movies, and you think, yeah, those places don't really exist. It exists. Um, there's actually a house there now, so um, it doesn't exist anymore, but that's not the point. When I was in high school, it did. And so I would go sit on this, uh, sit on this, this hillside, and I would just look out over the city. And I couldn't fathom how many people there were in the city because each of those little lights was a house or a building or an office, and, and the number of lights was just unfathomable to me. And so I'd look out over the city and I'd think, there's so many people. There's so many people. And then, and then I would look up at the, the stars and I'd think, my goodness. There are so many stars. And we have technology now, Hubble Telescope and, and a number of other telescopes that, that have shown that uh, the stars, it, it's just, there's so many stars, it's beyond possibility of counting them. And so here's Abraham. And he's, he's you know, this is before electricity. Um, and so I have no idea what that's like. But um, so... Abraham's sitting there before electricity in, in the middle of this land, and he's looking up at the, the sky. God takes him outside, and he's looking up at the sky, and he's looking at all these stars. And God says to him, that's how many descendants you're going to have. 
Now, for somebody that doesn't have any kids, for somebody that uh, is a little older, um, beyond childbearing years, that's craziness. I mean, what's, how's God going to do this? There's no life in Abraham. I mean, sure, he's got physical life, but there's no life to go forth from him. He's got no heir. He's got no descendants. How in the world can God possibly, possibly take Abraham, who has no kids, who, who is too old to have kids, and make his descendants as numerous as the stars? More than all the city lights I would look at in high school, more than all the stars you could see if you go outside of the city, and, and uh, probably more than we could even see then, because there's so much light pollution now that, that Abraham would have seen just an unbelievable amount of stars. Now, I don't know about you, um, but when I hear things that are unbelievable, that are just so magnificent and beyond uh, uh, the daily comprehension of things, I tend to be a little skeptical, right? You hear, you hear of people um, that say like, oh, God did this miracle in this, uh, you know, in, in this place. And a lot of times you hear people saying like, God did this miracle in um, a third world country. He grew a limb on someone. And, and my initial reaction, and this is the wrong reaction, but my initial reaction is usually, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. That didn't happen. You're crazy. This is the age of science. Uh, we know that stuff doesn't happen. But the reality is, like, here's God, and he's, he's taking this situation that's just absolutely unfathomable, the situation that's beyond human comprehension, the situation that denies all logic and says, like, no, that's not possible. God didn't do that. And, he's, and, and, and God's saying, no, I, I really am going to do this. This really is true. Like, this really did happen. Um, your descendants will really be as numerous as the stars. And so my initial reaction is to say, eh, not so much. But Abraham's initial reaction was, okay, I believe you. Now that says something about me, and maybe you're with me on that. Maybe you're not. Um, hopefully you're not, because uh, the right response is, yes, I believe that God is able to do that. I believe that God is able to produce this life which he promised to produce, to produce my descendants to be as numerous as the stars, uh, but it's a little unbelievable that, that God can do this crazy thing. That he can take this man that's really old and uh, produce life from his own body. Sarah, as we turn over a couple chapters to chapter 18, Sarah, Abraham's wife, found it a little hard to believe as well. Um, So, so uh, a couple chapters over, chapter 18. Um, the context here is that, that Abraham's been patiently waiting for this promise to come true. Uh, and then he kind of tried to make it come true, and it still wasn't, um, still wasn't what uh, God had promised. And so chapter 18, these three probably angels uh, show up and, and start talking to Abraham. And Abraham says, let me go and offer... Uh, let me go and get some bread and, and an offering for you. And the angels say, okay, go ahead and do it. And so Abraham brings him uh, a meal and uh, some bread. And, and then picking up in verse 9, uh, they, that is the angels, said to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, she's here in the tent. 
And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of your life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Then Sarah laughed within herself. And she said, I've grown old. Shall I have pleasure? Shall I have a kid? With my Lord Abraham being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I'm so old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And she said, No, but you did laugh. I'm sorry, and he said, No, but you did laugh. So here's Sarah. She's uh, beyond the years of childbearing. She's well advanced in age. Paul in uh, Romans 4, which we'll get to later, says that uh, Abraham's about 100 years old. Um, And so Sarah laughs. Sarah says, I'll have a kid. (laughs) Uh, No way. My my husband's 100 years old. My my great-grandparents, they passed about, my my great-grandma passed about, uh, about 17 years ago now, I guess. Maybe maybe a little less. I was uh, maybe about 10 years ago. Um, and my grandpa passed, my great-grandpa passed about um, five or six years ago. And uh, not long before they passed, we celebrated uh, their 75th wedding anniversary. <laughs> they, were, they were well advanced in years. Um, my my uh, grandpa died at uh, 99 and a half years old. 99 and a half. That's really advanced in years. My my great grandpa, or I'm sorry, my great grandma, she died uh, a couple years before my grandpa, um, tragically in a car accident, or as uh, suffering complications from the car accident um, a couple months later. And uh, she was 96, 96 years old, right? They're almost 100 years old. They were so frail and, and fragile and, and uh, quite frankly, old. Um, and and I, I loved them to death. There's probably nobody in my life that's been more influential than those two people. Um, but uh, they were not about to have any kids. Right? And so here's Abraham and Sarah that are, you know, probably about the same age as my great-grandparents. And, uh, and Sarah is sitting at the tent door, and God says, uh, yeah, you're going to have a son. I could see my great-grandma, who is this, this amazing godly woman, going, <laughs> you're crazy. That's not going to happen. Look at me. I mean, she was the, the, the sweetest, most kind, loving woman that I've probably ever met in my life. And uh, she was so frail and fragile in her old age um, that I just can't even imagine. Uh, that, that's unfathomable to me. Imagine uh, 
we, we have an announcement on Sunday morning. Um, and uh, the announcement is, you know, it's on the screen. And, and we have a tradition here of announcing pregnancies in the church. When, when somebody gets pregnant, we have a, a tradition of announcing that. So imagine, up on the screen, congratulations to our newest expecting mom. The Coasters Ministry will be throwing a, a, a baby shower for her because she's a member of, of the Coasters Ministry. Now, for those of you that don't know, the Coasters Ministry is, is our seniors' ministry. What? Right? And so it's, 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 it's not that unreasonable to see why, why Sarah left. But, but notice what God says in, in, in return. He says, uh, is, is really anything too hard for me? Look at verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And so here's Sarah and Abraham, and they're nearing death. And God's promised to bring life as numerous as the stars from them. And how is he going to do that? By giving them a child. He's going to produce life from the place where no life can seemingly come. It's just unfathomable to think that life can come from, from people that are, that are that old, that they can have a child. But that's the reality of what God's promising. He's saying, no, I am going to bring life from the very place where you don't think life can come. I am going to bring life from the very place where it seems completely contrary uh, for, for life to come from. That's the God that Abraham is believing in. He's believing God that that he's going to produce life as numerous as the stars from his his own body, which cannot produce life, it seems. And so Abraham's sitting there saying, yes, God, I believe that you'll produce life from the place where absolutely no good can come, from the place where where no life can spring forth, from the place where, where there's just deadness. And not deadness in, in the sense of, of lack of, of, of biological life. Deadness in the sense of not producing more life. Just an inactivity. And so Abraham's sitting here, and he's looking up at the stars, counting the days, waiting for God's promise to come true. Thinking about what God has said. That his descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And he's growing older and older and older every day. And the entire time, Abraham is saying, Yeah, my God's going to make life come out of the place where no life can come from. Paul picks up on this in uh, Romans chapter 4. Flip over there uh, to Romans chapter 4 with me, if you will. Paul picks up on this, that, that from the place where, where there is no life, the place where, uh, where there's a lack of, of, of reproducing life, right? Not, not lack of biological life. Um, the lack of reproducing life. Paul picks up on this, and he says... Uh, 
he says this. Well, actually, first a little context. So Paul's been on about justification by faith, and he's been talking about how a person uh, is, is put in right standing with God and with humanity um, by faith. And, and so um, he's now using Abraham as the, the archetype for that, saying, look, it's always been this way. Um, this is how God always meant it. Look, look at Abraham. And he says Abraham was justified uh, not, not by uh, circumcision, but by his faith. We see that in chapter 4 um, all the way up through uh, verse uh, 13, 12. Yeah. We're going to pick up in verse 16, though. So Paul's talking, he's using uh, Abraham and this story of God producing an heir and, and a, a people as numerous as the stars. That's the backdrop for what Paul's talking about. And also being uh, brought into that, that family of, of stars, that numerous family uh, by, uh, by faith. And he says in verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be in accord to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only those who were of the law, but also those who were of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The faith of Abraham, that's a very interesting phrase there. The faith of Abraham. What Paul's, what Paul's doing there is he's saying, like, we, we share in this lineage of faith that Abraham has. We share in this, this, this same faith in the God who brings life out of death. We share in, in, in that, same, that, that same line of faith that extends all the way back to Abraham. And that's always been the, 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 the archetype for faith. It was never by works. Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. That's Paul's argument. And he says, and we share in that same lineage of faith. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who, contrary to hope, this is Abraham, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he may become the father of many nations, According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Remember, we're still talking about the stars in the sky. And not being weak in faith, Abraham did not consider his own body. Not saying, Abraham didn't say, no God, my body is unable to produce that. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. Already dead. Notice that Paul says dead. That's really important here. Notice that Paul says dead. Since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. See, Paul's taken this story of Genesis and he's, he, said, he said, there was no life there. Abraham's body was dead. And so too was Sarah's womb. Now, Paul doesn't mean that they were physically dead. Paul means that there was no producing of life coming from them. There was no reproduction of life. And so Abraham, knowing that his own body was, was dead, that, it was, that it, was, uh, it was not able to, to produce more life, and knowing that Sarah's womb was dead, not able to produce more life, 
He believed God. Because this is the God that brings life out of death, that takes evil and bad and makes it good. The God that that takes what is wrong with the world and makes it right. The God of transformation, the God who acts in ways that are unfathomable to us. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed in this God, this God who can produce life from the very place where no life exists. Who can take death and make life. Abraham believed in that God. And God credited it to him as righteousness. And so too we share in that same lineage of faith. That faith in that God who who can take death and make life. How's that work? How's God do that? Verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Who, Jesus, was delivered up because of our, just, because of our unfaithfulness, our offenses. He was raised because of our justification. So God, being this God who takes death and brings it into life, delivers up Jesus. And Jesus is crucified. He's crucified because of our offenses, because of what we've done wrong, because of the the, the ways that we've uh, not lived in accordance with God. And God takes Jesus and he delivers him up to death. And Jesus is crucified on the cross. And through that, Sin is destroyed. Sin is eradicated. And God raises up Jesus to life. And by believing in Jesus, we're attached to him. We're in him. We're we're with him. And God takes that death of Jesus and makes life through the resurrection of Christ. And when we believe in him, we too have that life, Christ's life in us. God took us from a state of death, of of slavery to sin and and, uh, living in offense to God and brings that death into new life because of Christ. And faith in Christ, faith in Christ is what attaches us to Christ. Faith in Christ is what makes us a Christian, what saves us, what what, uh, justifies us. It's faith in Christ. It's, It's the finished work of Christ that accomplishes that. And God's still at work to change us from death to life. From living a way that we used to live, the way of death, to living the way that we will live forever, the way of life. And as we submit to God, and we submit to Christ in faith, God transforms us and brings us from death to life. 
Uh, now, the reason, um, well, before I move on, um, Paul's going to go on in the next few chapters to talk about just that, um, how God has brought death from life and how God is continuing to, I'm sorry, how God has brought life from death. And he's, he's going to talk about how God is continuing to bring life from death. Um, and, and in the first section, he's going to talk about how death came in Adam and, and life in Christ. The, this life and death contrast are, are consistent throughout the next three chapters or so. Um, and they're this underwriting theme of everything Paul's saying. And, and there's a lot more going on in those chapters than just death and life. Uh, but the, there's this underwriting theme through all of them of death and life. So I've highlighted those on your outline. Um, and I've highlighted those so that you can, you can study further um, if you're interested in this and how God uh, has brought um, life from death, uh, from Adam to Christ, from, from sin to new life. Uh, baptized into death and then raised to new life with Christ. These are just the titles of the titles I've given the sections. Uh, and then uh, death through the law. Um, and then Paul will reflect on the law a little bit, uh, and he'll he'll talk about sin and struggles with sin, both past and present. Uh, and then alive in Christ. And then there's there's this reflection on the life to come. Uh, and finally, in, in the last section, in chapter 8, if you want to flip over there with me, uh, chapter 8, Paul's going to, to culminate all this talk. He's going he's gonna to bring it all together, all this uh, God's producing life from death talk. And uh, in verse... Um, I was actually going to let you uh, read this on your own, uh, but I think it's appropriate now, so let me find it real quick. Verse... Uh, Let's just start in verse 18 and and read this together. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage and corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's the new life that, that Paul's talking about. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the, the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit helps in this weakness. For we do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So Paul's, Paul's culmination of this, this, this talk of God bringing life from death is that this... Look, the whole creation has been subjected to death. The whole of God's creation is subjected to, to futility and, and destruction, and, and it's, it's laboring and birth pains. It's going through this, this, this torment, waiting for the new life to be birthed. And Paul says, and we have the Spirit, the Spirit of God, that helps us, that intercedes for us, that brings us into that new life now. And we wait for the day that our bodies are redeemed, the day that God will raise the dead, that God will produce new life once and for all, the culmination 
of all things will be done because of the, the work that is begun in Christ. Because Christ is risen, we too will be risen. And that's the culmination of how God is bringing life from death. This death and this suffering in the present world is not worthy to be compared to what will come. That's what Paul says in in verse uh, 18. Look, I don't know exactly what what the the sufferings you're facing are today. Uh, They're different for each of us. But they're not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed And the reason is because God is the God that that overcomes that, who brings life out of that, who transforms us through those sufferings, the God who, who takes death and makes life. And so whatever you're facing today, whatever sin, whatever pain, whatever illness, whatever uh, emotional trial, wait for the day when God will finally culminate all that he's been doing in Christ. Restore the world. Bind sin and suffering and pain once and for all. And restore the world. And we know that God will do this. Why? Because he did it with Abraham. He gave him a son. He made his his descendants as numerous as the stars. That's you and me. He, he, He has been faithful to save us because of the death and resurrection of Christ, which has allowed that family promised to Abraham to exist. And he'll be faithful to finish that work, to complete it, to redeem us, whatever suffering we're going through. So hang in there. Hang in there. God will do it. God, um, thank you for this church. Thank you for Coast. Thank you for the grace that you have given me through them. Uh, the grace of, of life, the manifestation of, of uh, joy and, and love um, that brings us all out of suffering and into life. Thank you for that. God, may you bless each and every one of these people. May you uh, continue to guide them in love and compassion and mercy, and may they continue to be the, the church on the hill that, that shines uh, your, your grace and your love and your compassion. Uh, I can't thank you enough for these people, God. Uh, I pray that you would bless them and keep them, uh, that you would shine your face upon them, and that you'd give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen.